two, three. Welcome to. <laughs> no, we gotta do it at the same time, so we're just gonna stay recording. Welcome, Welcome to, to a Florida, Florida thing. thing. I am your host, Tyler, with my grandmother, Grammel. This morning, we are eating hard-boiled eggs. We're buying new sheets on Amazon, trying to buy a, a Meyer lemon pie. He says he can't find the or lemon pie. I can't find pie. the lemon pie to he buy, unless you want to make it. No. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about Sarah Gerard's new novel, True Love. And then in the second segment, we are actually going to get to talk to Sarah about writing, her book, her family. It's going to be a lot of fun. And who knows, maybe we'll even have this Meyer lemon pie. Somehow, magically, we'll get it. Now, Sarah is someone who has come up in other pieces that we've read. She had a story in the anthology, We Can't Help It If We're From Florida. And she also has a story in Tampa Bay Noir both books that we talk about on other episodes. So she's a Florida writer who's been in the conversation this summer. I'll give a little bit of synopsis about what the book is about, and then we can we can go from there. In True Love, the book follows Nina, who is a writer, a sh- kind of struggling writer, a definitely a struggling writer, leaving New York, going to rehab, and coming to Florida. So a lot of it takes place in Florida where she has some tumultuous relationships with some guys and some some gals. I like that part because I recognize the uh, places she mentioned, you know, like St. Petersburg, Kissimmee and different places that, you know, it's always great to uh, read a book that you are familiar with the towns and the areas. She mentioned Ybor City. She probably mentioned at least six or eight places. That just kept me all interested. Right. So Sarah is a Florida native, and she grew up in Largo, which is where we grew up as well. I thought it was interesting that she talked about a lot of different musical groups. And the only name I recognize, since I'm older, was Sam Cooke. She said that his voice was alto and clear like Sam Cooke's. But she mentioned probably 10 or 12 Sometimes, like one was tree service. So I had to ask my grandson, is that a tree service or is that a, you know, musical group? So I got a real education reading this book in more uh, ways than one. I found she had a great way of writing. She wrote like she made up her own, uh, I think, dash words like wake and bake habit. Uh, (laughs) Uh, both. Wait, did you know what that was? Oh, it means you wake up and you're in the mood to bake and you want something really good to drink with your coffee, like something sweet. <laughs> like, um, what is that thing called? I really want one. What is it called? Uh, scone. Yes. I miss scones. Yes, yes, that's what it means. I can't have scones anymore. So Actually, I would think... Sugar. Actually, I would think of a peanut butter cookie. And one day this past week, I had a, a cup of black coffee, no calories, with Hershey bar. Scrumptious breakfast for champion. So not necessarily awake and bake, but awake and chalk. That doesn't really, awake and chocolate. Not awake and chocolate. No, I don't think anything. <laughs> right. And let me tell you, 
Black coffee goes with something really sweet. Yes. Really good. You don't need anything in your coffee because the two combinations is just great. Okay, I had a favorite word in there, and my favorite word was unbeknownst. I like that word. And that's three different words with no hyphens. And then I also had a couple favorite, I had a favorite paragraph, which I thought was real, real sweet and poignant. One of the characters said to the main character, I want you to be with me, the birth of my child. And she said, you are the closest person to me in the world, besides my mama, my grandma, and my grandma. You are like my sister. And I thought that was, that's a big honor when somebody asks you to uh, be with them when they have their baby. And I like that paragraph. She used words about the, I think the encyclopedia, like dark web, indie web, silk buying chemicals he and his friends mixed into drugs. Now, that wasn't about computers. <laughs> but, I mean, there was a lot of words she used about, uh, like I say, the computer, which you computer nerds out there would probably have a blast hearing all of those words. She said hefty tome, T-O-M-E, with a CD-ROM. And all this in vogue words now that even though I've taken about four years of computer, I didn't know what those they meant. But I kind of know what they mean now. And thank you for that. Remember, Ty, when you uh, like to do things with the Sim City, the Sim people? <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to start playing the Sims again so I can go to a party during quarantine. So... The main character, Nina, she has a lot of toxic relationships. And something that kind of parallels is that she was also mentioning Red Tide. So I saw a connection between these toxic relationships and the toxic Red Tide. She didn't go heavily into these kind of links about, she kind of mentioned Red Tide. And I think Nina may have been writing a story or someone was writing a story about it. So there weren't like heavy connections, but I saw there being a connection to environment environmental devastation as well as human relationship devastation because Nina had a lot of that going on. She had a lot of red tide going on. <laughs> this is definitely not a Hallmark book. There were some, you know, sex scenes in there. So there were some moments where I was like thinking, oh, wow, you know, I'm reading this. My grandma's going to be reading this. I think, though, what the sex scenes were doing, I like... I'm more prudish about talking about this stuff with you than you are with me. But anyway, I think how I was reading it was that Nina is very codependent. So I think it was showing us how Nina acted in her relationships and what relationships meant to her. I kind of think she had a list in her mind of things she was going to do, you know, on this line of thinking to make them want her more. Because sometimes it was like rote. And I think, too, you know, she is struggling with addiction or she was in rehab. And so I think that this had become an, some kind of another way of using for her, right? Another way to get high, another way to get what she wanted, which was companionship. And so she would do anything she could to not be alone. That's that's one way of looking at it, yes. I think that Nina, as a complicated character, she is lying a lot. She's cheating on her partners. I really felt like anxious for her 
you know, because I, I recognize that kind of behavior. I've seen that kind of behavior in people that I know. So I thought that it was a really true to true to some people's life. So I thought it was a very honest character for that kind of person. And a lot of those folks in their early 20s are, are exist and are probably going through similar situations or maybe not similar, but maybe comparable situations. And she would totally uh, forgive her partner for whatever wrong he, he had done. That always surprised me because they had gone over the line, period. But then I know I was with uh, one relationship all my life and I would forgive, but somewhere down the line, I stopped forgiving because you, there's just certain things that's over the line. But it surprised me the things that she would forgive. Or her partners would forgive her for. Yes, that too. But uh, I just would know that this was the end with somebody and then the next page they were together still. And I think that relationships are complicated, especially when you're a young artist who is struggling with maybe some addiction issues and stuff like that. So I think that it's complicated. And it's always hard to be like, oh, well, if I was in your shoes, I would do this. Because you don't, you can never know what you would actually, I mean, I guess you can know what you would do. Well, like I say, sometimes. if I've never walked in your shoes, I'm not going to judge you. And I only walk in my shoes. Uh, I felt very sorry for, then I'd get aggravated at her. And then I, you know, she had good points. She had a lot of good points. She was generous to a fault. She and, was a hard worker. Yes, she had a great work ethic and, and uh, would do any piddling little job she needed to do to make a little money to pay her bills. She'd do it. She had a great work ethic. By doing those kind of things, she stayed away from being able to do her writing. I'm sure she found a balance. You know, this character, I think Nina is a really modern character. She's going through a lot of contemporary issues. She's dealing with a lot of things with like the gig economy. She's going from gig to gig to sustain herself and her writing practice. You know, some of the latest uh, newsworthy, she mentioned uh, that Trump won the, uh, lost the Iowa caucus. And, and like you said, the uh, red, red Tide and different things. So it was a, it was a book that kept you, uh, in you know, interested in it. She touched on a lot of different things that make up a relationship with her father, her mother, and so on and so forth, friends. And the, the story takes place in Florida, like we were saying, and then in New York. So there were very a lot of sensory details, like you were saying, a lot of mentions of Florida, and then going to the beach, that made me want to go to the beach again. Like, made me really want to be out on the beach. Well, she mentioned karaoke, and that made me want to go you know? sing karaoke. Because <laughs> I love karaoke. And there's no way we can social distance and do that anymore. Right. So, and then uh, <clears throat> she did, she loved the sun, and she loved, uh, that's the way she entertained, you know, her and her friends entertained themselves. And my daughter does that a lot by going to the beach. It's Mom is a self-proclaimed beach bum. Yes, and that's the way she gets her entertainment, her relaxation, and it's been good for her. The beach is a 
kind of a healthy place to go. Very restorative. Restorative, that's a good word. Those are some of our thoughts on True Love by Sarah Gerard. In the next segment, we are actually going to get to talk to Sarah, and we are going to talk to her about some of her favorite places in Florida, her writing practice, writing about love, her new hobbies in quarantine, lots of great stuff. So stick around. You don't want to miss that. In this segment, we are going to talk to Sarah. We're going to talk to her about our hometown, about her new love of gardening, about writing about love in Florida. We get into a lot of great topics, so I'm just going to get us right into it. Hashtag relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag relatives. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She used to go by Margo from Largo. Oh, cute. Yeah, so we have Largo. We have at least Largo in common, for sure. Since you're back in Florida, you and I went to Skyway Jacks once. Once this quarantine is over, where are you looking forward to going to, like your top three places? Trip Steiner for um, Loaded Grits. Oh. Yep. Uh, First choice. Um, (laughs) What is their Loaded Grits like? Oh, it's got it all. It's got cheese, chives, bacon, all of it, onions, all of it, all the good stuff. And they're just the, and sour cream and just, yeah, everything you need. Yeah. And it's basically a a meal, um, but I would get probably some eggs on the side. And yeah, I don't know, any number of other things on the side. (laughs) Everything on the menu there, probably. I miss the taco bus Mm -hmm. in St. Pete, too. I miss the taco bus. And I know I'm forgetting, because you already mentioned Skyway Jacks, and that's one of my favorite places let me think of some place down closer to here maybe Krabby Bells yeah I wouldn't go I wouldn't go near <laughs> Krabby Bells right now uh anywhere no. near it because I've driven by a number of times and no nobody's wearing masks and the, the place is packed and the yeah. last thing I want is to get COVID-19 over my alligator bites uh and in a seafood restaurant of all places you right. know yikes that must be like a special strain of COVID and I also, I mean, there, there's a place, there's a, there's a barbecue truck near us on Olmerton. Near the trail. Yeah, Pinellas Trail. Mm-hmm. They have the absolute best smoked chicken and barbecue, just like all around barbecue with all the fixins, the macaroni and cheese, the collard greens, the cornbread the yellow cake all of it and um and we we've gone there a couple of times because there's always only maybe one person standing outside that you know so that's something that's been sustaining me we were actually going to go there today um that's great you have to get early you have to get there early or else the dark meat's gone but okay so insider tip get there early (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, and I mean it's it's a it's a to go window. There's nowhere to sit, you know, and you're out there in the sun anyway. You wouldn't want to sit there in the sun anyway, so it's only to go. Um, yeah, and there's like one person standing outside, and it's so cheap, you know. It's just like some lady in a window who's just always the same lady, and yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, those That's all sound perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm hungry. 
So how how are you? How's everything on your end? You know, I'm taking it day by day. Uh, I feel fortunate to be living with family right now because I, I have friends who are, you know, who aren't able to see their family right now and they're in far-flung places and concerned for one another. And I have friends and you know, who are just alone and it's, and they've been alone for a long time. So I feel grateful that I'm not alone. And, and Patty and I are living not far from you guys and safe and healthy. So, but you know, it's been a huge adjustment. Our life plans were interrupted. Everyone's were so, and we have friends who are sick or whose family members have been sick. And that's really scary. We're inching ever closer to November <laughs> so there's like this sort of Damascus hanging over everything. But I'm able to write. Um, but she has it. I missed I it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, how am I going to keep myself from going crazy? And my dad likes gardening too, and he's very concerned about the pollinators. So... We, so today we're going to plant some pollinator plants and we have, we started a vegetable garden. So we're growing some peppers. Our pepper plants are going crazy right now. Our bean plants are going crazy right now. We have some tomatoes who are flowering, but they haven't, they haven't fruited yet, but that might not happen until later in the summer. And yeah, I mean, we're learning a lot. I'm moving plants around and you know, I'm out there every day with them and it's a good way to get away from my phone and reflect and get outside you know without endangering myself or others yeah <laughs> I love that um, my mom just went to Wilcox the other day have y'all been yeah. there mm -hmm. yeah yeah actually my word I was there yesterday um and my dad is running for Largo City Commission seat three right now Eric Gerard Wilcox has one of his signs outside so yeah so vote for Eric Gerard in November because <laughs> he's been working really hard. I hear him on the phone all day, every day. He's been involved in politics for a long time via my mother and his own. He was the you know vice president or president, I think, of the Largo Library Foundation board and is on the city planning committee now and has been you know really involved in the city for as long as he's lived here. I mean, over 30 years. He's really concerned about the environment too. Uh, the yeah, house runs on solar energy, and my dad drives an electric car and he plants milkweed to attract butterflies and you know is vegetarian and you know cares a lot about the environment that's a big part of his ticket as you know as he's running because you can make a lot of difference especially in Florida you know if you encourage people to plant native that's great that's awesome mm -hmm. who is he running against commissioner Curtis Holmes he's the opponent do you know Curtis would you like to put a sign in my yard? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me, do your parents be in um, politics? Does, uh, does that ever come into play in your uh, writing? With my mom, yeah, it has. I mean, because I've written about my parents um, in, not in my nonfiction. In Sunshine State, I was writing about my parents' religion, and you know that's that's definitely something that comes up in politics. So I, you know, I was I, I was careful about how I wrote about that, and I shared the piece with my parents before I published it. You know, um, because I don't want them to be 
I don't want anything I write to ever harm my mom in the election or something, you know. Um, if you're, you know, if you have a, a close relationship with someone, you know, to the extent that you can be transparent in your work with them, you should be. Why, why would you not be? Um, otherwise, no, I mean, I've never, they've never told me not to write about something. And um, I know that they're very uh, open about their own past. My mom worked in the nonprofit sector for a long time, helping women who were escaping domestic violence and, and children and families, helping them, you know, connect with services. And, you know, so her own past is in that. And I know she's very open about that and cares a lot about those issues. So. So we read True Love. We also read We Can't Help It If We're From Florida and then interviewed Ryan. So we read your story. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Ryan is the best. He's awesome. And then we also read Tampa Bay Noir. And we're going to talk. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It's not her normal genre of reading. Yeah. I mean, mine either, actually. It was cool to write in that genre because I don't usually think of it that way. I think of my writing that way, you know, but like you're drawing on certain tropes and themes and, you know, I mean, certainly it was a way to get something off. It was a fun exercise, you know. And I like the title of yours, uh, The Midnight Preacher. Yeah, I actually became fascinated with a real person um, who I based that character on and he was uh, one of those people who preached at midnight, you know, when you're falling asleep on the couch. Um, and he, and he did get in trouble for, I think, tax evasion. And I mean, he was always contrarian and always conservative, but he just became radicalized after Trump was elected and became, um, yeah. And, and I, I wanted to write a story about him. I kind of started snooping around and I had found him because he was listed as a hate group on the Southern Poverty Law Center website. And, but it seemed to be just one guy and he seemed mm-hmm. to be, he seemed to have fallen from grace. And there was something really satisfying about that for me, you know, to see this person who was so terrible doing badly. And I don't know. Yeah. I just decided to get in touch with myself. It was easy for me to write in the noir genre when I was asked to, because one of the tropes is this gumshoe reporter, you know, and um, that was me, like trying to pursue this guy who was like evading me because he was ashamed of himself. And I don't know, yeah, I was, I became this like, I was like kind of terrorizing him and I became really disaffected with him or just kind of like, I, I disliked him too much. I think I couldn't find anything redeeming about his character and uh, in real life. So I just decided to, you know, abandon the project, but I was able to take all that research and like turn it into fiction. So that's kind of where so that it started as a nonfiction. Like, yeah. wow. So you've had well, a conversation yeah. with him or interaction? Somebody based on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or somebody very much like him. Yeah. Yeah. And he was just as awful as you expect him to be. <laughs> for the, for the, uh, I don't want to assume that the eight groups you listed were, were those factual? I don't remember the ones that I listed, but I think those probably did come from the SPLC hate map. Yeah. My question is, do they mind you listing them as hate groups? He didn't like being listed as a hate group. Yeah. He, I, I remember because he would post like almost every day on his website, um, even though nobody seemed to read it. Uh, and he would complain about 
being listed and how that had, um, that was like the, the beginning of the end for him basically was being identified as such because he, one of the ways that he had been evading taxes was, was having been listed as a, a religious group actually. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then that was called into question and, and how he was using funds to fund his so-called church was called into question. So yeah, he, I think he owes a few million dollars to oh the gosh. IRS oh. now. Yeah. <laughs> money properly mm-hmm. and so forth was his how'd you come up with his nickname buck oh buck well the real person's name is bill keller so it was just something that kind of sounded like oh okay oh, yeah buck um but also i mean the obvious connotation having to do with greed and that deadly sin <laughs> right yeah there's a, something about the fact that the real midnight preacher that i was in touch with bill keller his name also means money and also Keller sounds something like killer. And I know there's something about that, that as a writer, I'm really drawn to stuff like that. It's almost like a sign from the universe that this, this is, this should be turned into fiction, you know, because it already seems to be (laughs) almost. Yeah. It was fun piecing that puzzle together as a piece of noir because I had to think about like, well, what is the role of the femme fatale or there was something about the gun that like, I knew that had to be the end of the story that there had to be some, threat to the narrator's life or some some way in which it was made real so your book true love so you started writing it in 2016 right right yeah uh near the end of 2016 i wrote a short story that became this novel sent it to a friend got some feedback a lot of questions that needed answering yeah, um, I was going through a divorce. I was reading a lot about love, trying to figure out where I fucked up and where did I, you know, where did I go wrong? And what is a model of, you know, what is my ideal arrangement, love arrangement? And what do I expect? And what am I expected to give? And three years later, you know, I completed the last draft of it. Been a journey, <laughs> lots yeah. of mm-hmm. Well, I mean, thinking about models for love and everything, <laughs> like what you know, what does that even look like? It's hard. Yeah, in there, um, it was something like we're only compatible because he doesn't really know me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, a, a thread among quite a few of your relationships can be like that. If they mm-hmm. are the real you, they, you know, they might not, you know, I have a temper, you know, I uh, like, I talk too much. Most people know that about me, though. I can't keep that hidden, you know. Uh, <laughs> but my husband used to say, you're nicer to other people than you are me. And I'd say, yeah, well, why do you think that is? <laughs> you know, but I mean, so I thought that was uh, a pretty, a simple but deep revelation that you came up with. Yeah, one of the things that we, I mean, learn through love is who we are because our lover reflects us back to ourselves too. And I think a large part of Nina is 
obscure even to her. Um, and she is attempting to discover it while avoiding certain unsavory aspects of it that actually in the end proved to be unavoidable. Um, it, I mean, it's true that we are in some ways our worst selves to the people closest to us because it's safe to be because mm -hmm. our fruit, you know, the, I mean, our worst selves, I mean, our most flawed self. Um, and in a way we're kind of asking this person to love us despite or with our flaws. For instance, I have to be a certain person when I go to work, even if I'm having a really shitty day and like, don't give a fuck about teaching. Cause like I just found out somebody died. Right. I have to make it through that class and be my best self so that I can go home and fall apart in front of my partner and scream and cry and say really irrational things. And <laughs> because I'm angry and sad and I know she'll hold me, um, you know, and when I'm having a bad day or something and I'm feeling cranky, I mean, she's the one closest to me and she's the one I'm going to be cranky at. You know, I know she's going to forgive me and I'm, I'm going to try not to be cranky, cranky at her, but I'm not going to be, somehow I managed not to be cranky to my boss or my casual friend, you know, right. I'm cranky at her because I know she's going to forgive me, you know, um, or because I just, I feel as if I don't have to perform for her. So, yeah. So that's something that I, you know, um, and Nina is saying that while, while also not, you know, so she knows that there's a part of her that she has to hide for this person. Otherwise, he won't love her. I think failing to realize that it's not really love unless he'll love her with, with all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's really hard to be vulnerable with somebody that way um, to show them that you're not perfect. I'm wondering how Nina changed in your writing of Nina's from 2016 to when you finished the manuscript, because you did go through a kind of transition yourself. So how did that, the writing of the character change? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot. The, well, in the beginning, I mean, Nina wasn't a writer. Foolishly, I was trying to um, give her an occupation that I don't, <laughs> that I'm not very familiar with. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I would have had to do a bunch of research about, you know, how you know, a person's occupation would dictate how they talk and the kinds of metaphors they use in everyday speech and how they even think about the world. Like in the beginning, Nina was a seamstress. And um, so, and I mean, all kinds of metaphors come out of that, like tearing and weaving and, you know, whatever, uh, making a pattern. And, you know, so, but it was too clunky for me to write in that way. Because um, I don't really know that language fluently. So, in the end, I just made her a writer. It's like, I can think about, it's really easy for me to, if just making her a writer to think about fantasy and what is fact and fiction and how would she, what would she be writing and how would she be working through her issues through her writing and what kind of story does she want to tell herself and what kind of story is she telling someone else and truth and lying and all of that, you know, honesty. And um, so it was just much easier. So that was one thing. Um, it's, you might guess that because I'm a writer, it was the first thing I get decided to make her, but that's not true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and her voice changed a lot over time. I think in the beginning, I thought that this that there would be a way to make the story somehow somehow romantic, but in the end, it's not. It wasn't. You know, I thought it would actually turn out to be some kind of love story, but it didn't. 
in the end turned out to be, it was more of an anti-love story. It was satirizing what a love story is more than it was itself a story about finding love because she doesn't really. Um, except maybe in the very last paragraph, she takes that first step towards it. But or I'm, I think in the end, I wanted to leave the reader with some kind of hope that maybe she's learned something or somebody's learned something. But um, yeah, it, her voice really came together in the last draft. I think it got a lot. I think because her voice is kind of quippy and she's a little bit critical and defensive, um, it needed to be, her sentences needed to be really short and almost impatient and the story needed to feel very claustrophobic. And a lot of that came out, came through just combing through the sentences and taking out unnecessary verbiage and just rewriting things on the sentence level to get her voice right. Nina is someone that we feel for and we want her to make some choices. And it's like, she's trying to make some choices, but like you said, you know, uh, <laughs> doesn't sometimes make the choices that we hope she would make. Um, yeah. I want to know, like, where was a moment where you hoped she would make a different choice? I'm interviewing you now. <laughs> the, the one that really kind of sticks out to me, that I, I guess just with her choice in men, period. <laughs> like, I mean, she falls for them and I get why, but then it's like, come on, girl. Like, what, what are you, why are you doing this? Yeah. Well, do you understand why she's doing it? I do, but that's where I'm like, I see her work ethic being strong. Like that's something she's gigging. She's got a strong work ethic. She's really into her writing and her art. And it's like, you know, sometimes she's not surrounding herself with men that are supporting that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where I was like wanting her to make a, a kind of, yeah, just because I, uh, out, of, out of a sense of care, like, you know. Well, yeah, it's interesting because Nina, would I think describe herself as a generous person mm -hmm. and she probably views that as a form of generosity she's supporting her partner in his ambitions you know uh, so he calls them I kind of took it that uh, it would make her a more understandable person if she would keep accepting these characteristics and still be there for them and not walk away. Yeah, it's kind of like what we, were, what we were saying earlier about loving somebody with their flaws. And she sees that these are flawed people, but you know, um, loves and accepts them and hears them asking for help, I think. And because she, either because she wants to think of herself as a generous person or because she is truly generous in a twisted way, she helps them when they ask for help. And know? I think that's something that makes Nina <clears throat> a really real character to me. Like, you know, thinking back to folks that I've known in similar situations in their early 20s, it's like, you know, yeah, they do make these choices and this is kind of the thought. So it, it made her really real to me mm -hmm. because of the choices that she was making. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think s certain readers, I mean, like you just said, you know, I wanted Nina to make different choices and, by the end, she's taking care of her husband financially. And an example of a different choice, I guess, would be that she left him, right? But would you do that? <laughs> you know, choices that I needed to make in the past and how long it took me to get to that, that moment.
Right, exactly. We put up with a lot in relationships for long periods of time and arrangements that could be seen as exploitative or abusive or, you know, but because we're hoping that they will change or because we want to extend compassion or forgiveness and, or patience. And I mean, love is patient, right? So maybe she, maybe this is a form of love and maybe her choice not to leave him is actually a loving one in a way. And I think when he was initially seeing her, he was really supporting her creativity and they were collaborating and all of these things. And it's like, you want to hold on to that moment and how you felt in that moment. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Why do you think we look at our wedding photos or celebrate our anniversary? You know, it's good to remember. It's because we have to reflect on our journey together, you know, from its beginning. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, hold on to that original spark. I think it's heartbreaking for Nina when that when their that spark begins to dim. I think it's really disappointing for her. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. She even says, you know, we haven't worked on the the movie for a few months already. You know. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no separation anymore between the fantasy and the and reality. The fantasy of the fiction they were making together, you know, on in more than one way. I gotta know. Why do you refer to music so much? Playlists for a website uh, that was connected to the And I, one time I asked Tyler, is tree service a tree service or what is that? You know, because I didn't know. I had no clue. And I'm not up with the, the bands. I'm still off. that I referenced was a real one. Yeah. Which was the fictional one? Tree Service. Yeah. That was Daniel's band. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, it kind of reminds me of Postal Service. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Is that um, because you love uh, gardening that you had? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It also just seemed kind of twee, you know, the tree thing. Like, I don't know. I had a, I had a friend in college who was in a band called Tree Wolf. It just oh. always seems so, I don't know, cliche and, and a loving, and, a, and I say that with love, you know. <laughs> After a while, I started list, listing how many musical groups, and I must have listed uh, like 10 or 12, but I didn't do it right at the beginning. Yeah. So I know uh, music must be important to you. Uh, I was listening to a lot of music while I was writing the book. And yeah, I put together that true love playlist that has like a hundred songs on it now. Um, and listening to it, like each of those songs just gave me a different entry point into Nina's subjectivity or another, or it was playing over a particular scene in the book and my imagination um, or the lyrics were speaking to me in a certain way, kind of about the story. And, um, but I mean, in general, um, yeah, I think of, writing this music and I think about the sounds of my sentences a lot and um, the particular tone that a word lends a scene or um, <clears throat> but then I also think about you know the characters in the book as uh, having that same relationship with music I think where they you know they listen to it because it gives them a window onto their own life or you know tells a story about 
their family or I mean, there's one of the bands I mentioned is the Beach Boys and Seth's you know relationship with that band it it reminds him of his father because um, music carries that emotional messaging for us and yeah I mean the sound the sound of, of a particular song conveys the emotion of the song so it's a direct experience for me that way you know mm-hmm. um, yeah I can try to enter a particular mood through a song rather than going directly there with language I think it's helpful um, yeah it puts me in a particular world a headspace <laughs> well, I love I love music and I uh, I sing karaoke and I mean I go out and sing it when I can which now I haven't been out since the middle of March uh, but I sing it at home too <laughs> I had yeah. a friend that was a KJ that said, Margie, when you can't come, say, you know, sing at home. And I mean, you can sit down with maybe troubles on your mind and sing. I try to sing five songs a day mm. and get up after those five songs and be in a di- totally different mood, maybe ready for bed, you mm-hmm. know, which I don't always get, um, I don't always have a good night's sleep. but that will almost, you know, make sure I do. And then I like to sing, uh, you know, all different kinds of songs. Like one of my favorites now is Lady Gaga. And, <laughs> you know, so I try, but then of course, my favorite is um, Patsy Cline. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think music is a great big help to get through life. It's kind of like a, having a sense of humor is a big help, mm-hmm. you know like in a certain sport that you get to holler at a lot. I think actually music and having a sense of humor are similar in a way. I mean, it's all about timing, right? Yeah, it's, mm-hmm, it's funny. I mean, yeah, I studied singing when I was a kid. I took voice lessons and I was in the choir and it was a really important part of my upbringing. And, um, a lot of why I think I became a writer too, you know, because I had that early mode of expression, you know, I realized very early in my life how important it was to express yourself and be verbal and heard, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sing out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't listen to music as much as I used to, and I don't seek it out as much as I used to, but it's, it's still a really important part of how I write. Um, I'm working on a, short story which might be a novella right now too about a friend of mine who passed away and um this past january and i have a playlist uh for that too that i listen to and songs that we listened to when we were growing up and songs that speak to like a particular part of our life where i think we were closest and um yeah so yeah it's a it's a it's a really important part of the process do you listen to music while you write too I listen to this channel, Lo-Fi Hip Hop, on YouTube. (laughs) They love it. It's kind (laughs) of, like, weird at first, but then at the end, they, like... Will you send me a link to the YouTube? I want to hear this. It doesn't have any lyrics or anything, but it um, it just is, like, good background. Mm -hmm. But it was making me think, too, like, 
how, you know, certain smells really can trigger memories for you. Certain songs can really trigger. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my God. And it's not always the song that you would think either. There's um, this song by Alice DJ called Better Off Alone. It's like this techno song that I get really emotional hearing now because uh, it just reminds me so much of my friend who passed away in January. And, um, and yeah, when I listened to it the first time, I mean, after she died, I just, yeah, I, I was surprised that it was that song because it wasn't the, her favorite techno song necessarily. And it wasn't one that I ever thought very deeply about. It was just kind of a, a background song, but then something about the lyrics, I think um, the lyrics are, so you think you're better off alone. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, Ah, uh, like hit me right in the chest when I heard, you know, when I listened to it the first time. For some reason, it was that was the first song that popped into my head when I heard that she died. So, yeah, music is, um, yeah, it's. I think as an artist too, like, well, as a writer, like having access to other disciplines, or working in other disciplines is 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 really necessary and can teach you a lot about writing too like visual art i don't know i have a lot of friends who draw or are painters or make collages and working in those other modes too like i think their writing is is very symbiotic with their writing you know i have a friend who makes collages and like collage poems and yeah you had a book of collages right recently like a couple years yeah yeah it was I mean, that was a thing that I was doing. I haven't done it recently very much. Actually, this is making me want to go do it now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like another way of storytelling, telling a story, right? Yeah. I think that's something with me is like, I'll get really into doing some other medium, like sketching or something like that. And then it'll just, I'll do that and be really into it for a while. And then I'll just kind of fall off and I'll go to something else. Cause I think for me, I need something creative that I don't have to necessarily be good at. Yeah, um, exactly. Whereas, you know, I mean? like yeah. with writing, sometimes I feel like I need to be good, but then mm-hmm. if I'm drawing, that's not my thing. I can just do that for fun. And yeah, and I think, yeah. With collage, I was like, it's almost like I became, I felt like too many people knew about it. <laughs> you know, it's like eyes on me and I got scared or something. Um, but then also it's just not, you know, you don't have to do everything all the time. You can go in and out of gardening, for instance, you know, yeah. I mean, wasn't able to do that much in New Jersey and I, I loved it when I was living in Florida and then I moved to New Jersey and I couldn't do it. And then I'm back here and I'm doing it again. And it's not like it went anywhere. I, I can still play with it when I want to. Um, and get something out of it and like yeah same with like learning I think learning to do anything new is is good for writing anyway yeah you know yeah you're learning vocabulary you're learning skills you know that you can use that you can give to your characters yeah or your poems are you going to write a a new book with your character is into gardening and maybe maybe buries that bear a body out in her garden or something there's an idea. Can I have that? <laughs> That's mine. I'm stealing. Oh, yes. It's yours. It's yours. <laughs> I had a, I wanted to ask a couple questions before I forget. One, because we were talking about the political aspects in your novel. And I know that it seems like a lot of folks in fiction maybe are having the conversation about how to write about the current president and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, what are your thoughts on that since you, it's something that you take on in the book? Uh, I was 
interested in the personal, in the, in the interpersonal ramifications of the 2016 election because I noticed that it caused a rupture. Um, <clears throat> people got divorced, uh, people blocked their friends on Facebook, <laughs> and, um, and when I'm, you know, looking at something like toxic masculinity or whiteness or uh, gentrification, you know, how do I not think about it, you know, in the current time, how can I not also think about our government um, and what's happening there and the kind of... Um, message that it's sending to people about how they can treat one another um so yeah i mean there are writers um like mark doton who can write brilliantly about him as a character and you know um about someone very trump-like as a character you know and i don't know if i can write about him directly as a character have him as a character in my book um or even write very intelligently or knowledgeably about um, what has happened in the White House, you know, in a nonfiction way that would require a lot of research for me, um, even though I read the news, uh, like, so, you know, but what I can write about is how it's made me think about love um, and relationships um, and like cho choices that I make day to day on a personal level. I remember, I mean, I was married at the time and my partner and I, my, my former partner and I, um, Patty and I do not argue about where, thank God we have, you know, we have identical views about Trump, but, um, my, my ex and I didn't have identical views about the election and I was livid. <laughs> We really argued, I mean, it was a huge rupture in our relationship and probably one of the, you know, precipitating events in the relationship's downfall. So, yeah. And then I know the character in the book collaborates, and I know that you started collaborating with Patty. There was a piece yeah. in Burrow recently. Yeah. Um, can you maybe talk about collaboration? Because I think it's something people may want to try, but, you know... Mm -hmm. What's your experience been like with the collaboration? Well, with Patty, we um, take turns contributing to a piece, and then we don't go back and edit what we've written. Um, or that was in, in the case of that Burrow piece, and we're working on other pieces in that same format. Um, we, we we would take turns contributing, um, but we're working on a book length work together. Uh, and have been basically since we started dating um, that we will probably go back and edit in some fashion, although I'm not sure what that will look like because we haven't reached the complete end of it yet, um, although we're very close. So, awesome. um, yeah, but similarly, we would contribute a piece and then she would contribute, a, you know, or I would contribute a piece and then Patty would contribute a piece and then I would and then they would and so then we would go back and you know um, read through the whole thing together and I think decide together what would need to be done but not everybody can collaborate um, or at least it's important to find the right partner 
somebody that you can actually work with. Yeah. You should both be in agreement about what you're doing and what the end goal is. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look forward to um, you writing more and me. Uh, I want to get the uh, Sunshine book. Yeah. Uh, and what are the, what, Florida Sunshine Sun, State? Sunshine State. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you said you're working on it. <laughs> And you said you were getting some writing done recently. Yeah, well, I've been working on, a, yeah, it's a short story that might be a novella. Yeah, and otherwise just reading a lot right now in quarantine. Mm -hmm. So many good books coming out right now. Catherine Lacey is launching her book. I'm excited to read that. I'm reading Raven Leilani's book, Luster, right now. It's so good. Just read it in cold blood. Mm -hmm. and yes. Yeah, classic. Um, yeah, so many conversations to be had about that book, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've mixed, I've really mixed feelings yeah. about it, as everyone should. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, what are you reading? We are reading, so we've been focusing on Florida authors. We read, I have them right here. We read The Girl from Blind River. Yeah, yeah. Um, we read, this one is really good. It's called The Changing South of Jean Patterson. It was edited mm. by Roy Peter Clark and Raymond Arsenal. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a journalism and civil rights writer in the South. Jean mm -hmm. Patterson was. It's just really interesting to read that now. This yeah. Summer. Yeah. Um, it was really outstanding. It took you on every emotion I think you have, Sarah, between uh, political shows and reading and doing karaoke and taking my dog out 15 times a day and cooking gourmet <laughs> meals for my grandson. That one, that one's not true. <laughs> Isn't life full? Yeah. I'm so grateful to be alive and gardening too. You can't forget gardening. Uh, I journal also, and I start my day uh, saying five things I'm um, grateful for. Mm -hmm. And then I try to end my night by reading the Proverbs. One of my favorite uh, scriptures in the Proverbs is, if your stable is clean, you don't do good business. In other words, if you don't have manure in your stable, you're not busy. In other words, if you're playing football and your uniform stays clean, mm -hmm. you're not in the game. Right. You know? And I think mm -hmm. that's what that means. So. Mm hmm Well, God knows my stable is messy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means you're doing good work then, right? Yeah, go me. I don't know if you can see my table, but... But our stable is pretty much... My stable. <laughs> and believe it or not, I cleaned it off about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. No, mine's the same way. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to chat yeah, with me. Yeah, this um, was great. It was like... you're at <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> uh too bad we couldn't meet in person hopefully we'll see each other again soon yeah I'll be it was a delight to get to know you better likewise you, you can get my address from um yeah i'm a merry widow so i don't want to put my address out in the airwaves <laughs>
Okay, that's our show. We got to talk to Sarah, who was a delight, gave us a great insight. She wants to go to the barbecue spot. She remember that? Yes, I do too. I've had food from there before, but they were at another spot then. We're currently in the future. We did not get a Meyer lemon pie yet. But I'm going to get tomatoes maybe from a an amateur uh, gardener that's getting better every day. We are in the future, like I said. And Sarah actually came by the house and put a sign for her dad in the yard. I know. I'm excited about that. I really am. I've never had a sign in my yard before. And, you know, I'm over 16. Just slightly over 16. So check out her book. You can also, we were talking a little bit about her nonfiction book, Sunshine State. Check that out. I like a Midnight Preacher. Which is in Tampa Bay Noir. Check that out. You know, and so check out our website, aflordathing.com. Email us, aflordathing at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on authors and to find out what we're going to be reviewing next before anybody else. And send us a lemon pie. Send us a lemon pie. Tell your friends. Rate us. Do all of those things that... They tell you to do at the end of episodes of stuff. Yeah. Times are hard, but life is good. And have a great day, and hopefully there's some sunshine in it. Bye. Bye.